We're going to be looking today at Psalm 84 as we continue our series we've called Everyday Prayer. And I don't know about you, but every time we get to Fourth of July weekend, for some reason it triggers inside me this thought of, you know, sort of state of the union. How are we doing? How are things going? How's it, you know, what, what, what kind of condition, environment are we living in and what are we going through? And um, certainly there's a lot we could say about that. But in the last two and a half years, we've been, lived in really chaotic times. I mean, it's been a, it's been a tough stretch. It's been chaotic. Um, and even as the pandemic appears to be kind of cooling off, it doesn't seem to me that we've dealt with all the things the pandemic unleashed on us, you know, all, all, of, the, all of the stuff. And so just to, just to kind of put it in a frame for you, you know, we have a, a, a full-blown active war um, that much of Europe or the United States or China or whoever could get pulled into. Um, we're dealing with division and sickness, death, violence, supply chain interruptions. Everywhere we go, there's, you know, it seems like there's something missing that we uh, always expected to be there. Uh, we're dealing with a labor shortage, a economic roller coaster you know, up and down and up and down, and who knows where we're going to land on that one. And we're just really living in overwhelming times. I was thinking about uh, the last seven, seven or maybe ten days uh, of my, uh, my role here at Kingwood, what are some of the things that I've dealt with, just to kind of frame it in one person's life. Uh, you know, in the last week or so, uh, several people have asked me, hey, what do you think about um, homosexual relationships and Christians, like how do, how does that how does that work? And uh, you know that's that's a uh, you don't just have like a like a a one sentence answer to some of these things. And then we saw that Roe versus Wade was overturned, and uh, certainly I think that's a good thing. But you know I see people on Facebook posting that you know that's revival, and and it it concerns me because I think I don't I'm not sure we're clear on what revival is if we think that it's going to come through the government. It's not coming through the government. Um, and so I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm glad, but people ask, well, what do you think about that? Well, <laughs> can, I, can I have a minute? You know, how, how should our church respond to that? Well, I mean, I mean not, not shoot from the hip, I can tell you that. And then uh, we just finished on June 30th uh, a kind of a complicated budget, getting ready for next year. That, that takes a minute or two. And then we've seen church shootings continue to, you know, move through uh, our country and, I don't know, maybe even the world. If you're on our emailing list, you got an email from me this week saying we've made a, a painful decision to uh, retire our Christmas outreach. The, the gospel according to Scrooge doesn't mean we're not going to do anything, but uh, that, that, took, that took a minute to come to that conclusion. We have structural and leadership transitions we're working through. We got a tip this week that... Um, there may be an increased risk of church vandalism and arson uh, to local churches in our area. So we had to figure out, you know, wh wh how do we respond to that? And then our insurance company informed us this week that we've got these new requirements we've got to meet that we were unaware of until this week, and we've got, you know, a limited amount of time to, uh, to figure that out. And, and by the way, we're also managing an ongoing COVID outbreak. Uh, different people, you know, just a couple things. That's about seven or eight days. <laughs> None of that has anything to do with preaching 
or worship services or ministries or evangelism or discipleship or ministry. Uh, but that's the environment we live in. Now, if I were to pass the microphone around this morning or maybe uh, give you an opportunity online to comment, you might be able to frame, you know, kind of some of the crazy things that are happening in your life and, and how, how chaotic it is and, and all of that. But um, I want to give you one other thought that's not unique to our church. I don't even know if it applies to our church, but it's true in America, okay? We're not doing a very good job passing in the middle of all this, we're not doing a very good job passing our faith on to the next generation. 10% of kids who were raised as Christians become committed Christians. That's the latest uh, research that's been done in the last couple of months. In America, 10% of kids who were raised as Christians, become Christians. So I just want to say this to you. We're living in a chaotic environment that will chew you up. Like a chainsaw just gashing you, it will chew you up and it will chew your faith up. And it is chewing some people's faith up. And we've got you know a lot of proof on that too. So I've said this to you many times and I'm going to keep challenging us. I'm going to keep pushing us. We've got to go deeper. Like, we've got to go deeper. Cultural Christianity's not going to do it, and consumer Christianity's not going to do it, and celebrity Christianity's not going to do it. We've got to go deeper in our faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to. The hour requires it. Or, or, or look, your mental health, your emotional health, and your faith aren't going to make it. Now, pause for a second. It's, it's, uh, it's easy to say something like that in a moment like this that's kind of charged, and you may challenge that over time and say, well, I mean, I saw this person, you know, go a different way, or this person ignored that, or this, and, and there, you know, there, there they are. I'm not saying if you don't go deeper in your faith, you're going to spontaneously combust. I'm not saying that you're going to turn into powder. I'm not saying that your face is going to fall off, Okay? What I'm saying is, although you might actually look okay on the outside, you're not going to be okay on the inside. You may actually succeed externally. Things might get better for you externally, but internally they're not. They're not going to be okay. So I want you to understand what the stakes are and what we're talking about. We cannot live stretching ourselves to the limit, maxing ourselves out day in and day out and day in and day out and trying to process all of these crazy chaotic things going around us and think we're going to be okay. We're not going to be okay unless our faith gets deeper. So the way to do that is we've got to find margin. We've got to find margin in our life and inside that margin we have to make room, real simple, for prayer and worship. We have to make room to meet God. <laughs> because God, as you've heard already today, again and again, God is the source of life. So let's talk about how we can go deeper in Psalm 84. Now, in Psalm 84, it's a um, psalm of pilgrimage. And what that means is, is that the children of Israel, the, the, the Jewish people, um, would would be in transition, they would be on a journey, they would be pilgrim, pilgriming, if that's, 
that's even English, they would be, they'd be traveling. Let's call it that. Let's split the difference. They'd be traveling, and on their way to the temple in Jerusalem, because in that time, Jesus hadn't came. There had been no crucifixion. There had been no resurrection. There had been none of that. And the way to meet God is you had to come to the temple in Jerusalem. So they would travel from, who knows, it could be hours, it could be days, many miles, and they would travel. And as they would travel, they would sing or chant these psalms in anticipation of what it was going to be like when they arrived at the temple and went in and met with God. That's, that's what the psalm is about. So what, what I, what I want to do this morning as we read it is I want us to think, you know, we drive everywhere we go, so we don't really have much of an equivalent today. But I did have a similar experience once. About three years ago, I was on a backpacking trip with our, um, our, our youth leadership. And it's a, it's a, a long, long hike, two nights. We got to the first night. Everything was fine to about 1 a.m., at 1 a.m., it started to rain. Just a nice, gentle, slow rain, no problem. Everybody's dry. By 3 a.m., we were not dry. <laughs> By 4 a.m., most people had left their hammocks and their tents and ran for the shelter and were sitting under there shivering with wet sleeping bags, you know. And there we were, and, and uh, as the sun came up, uh, we went, uh, Pastor Jeremy said to me, he said, I think we're going to have to just hike, skip the second night and hike all the way back out to the car because, um, you know, everybody's equipment's wet, and I'm afraid if we put them down in that equipment, it rains again tonight, we're, we're hypothermic. Great decision. Okay. So we had a 10-mile hike that we were supposed to do that day, but it was extended to 12 because it took two more miles to get to the car. The first seven miles... <laughs> We're not that bad, but there we were carrying 35, 40 pound packs that were now heavier because they were soaked in water. So we're dragging all that stuff, you know. And about the seventh mile, it started to rain again. And we started to go uphill. And the ground got muddy. And for five miles, we hiked in the rain, uphill, wet gear, in the mud, and we just put our head down and went. And can I tell you, well, I can't even describe for you how much joy it brought me when I looked at the end of that trail and I saw a highway and I saw our van parked over there and I went, come on, Jesus. You know, we're, this, is, this is as good as it gets. And when I took that wet, slimy stuff off and I sat in that van and I could look out the windows and watch it keep raining, it felt so good. And then somebody picked their phone up and said, now I'm about to trigger a hundred phones, I know, navigate to Cracker Barrel. And it's like the sun came out, you know? Everything's getting better all of a sudden. And I watched that little GPS that said 30 minutes, and I thought, 30 minutes, I don't know, you know, at least we're riding now. We're wet, but we're riding. And then, and then 10 minutes, and you watch it turn, and five minutes, and then you get to the parking lot, and you get out, and they had that big stone fireplace. It was in the winter, just in the fall, just roaring. And like a little sack of wet puppies, we all gathered around, you know, about 25 people as close as we could get to the fire. I know they were not glad to see us. However, because I'm sure we smelled, we were happy to see them. In a much deeper way, that's what these people are experiencing as they look forward to and anticipate the presence of God as they arrive at the temple. We look forward to it because it was relief. 
They didn't look forward to it because what they were getting away from. They looked forward to it because what they were going to. They were, they were uh, receiving. And they were in God's presence. So let's look at Psalm 84. I want to read the first six verses. And I just want you to hear the, the cry and the desperation in their heart. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. That's kind of an unfortunate translation because it sounds like the temple's really awesome. The atmosphere's really good. The building is aesthetically pleasing. That's not what that means. What that means is, is I love to be where you are, God. How lovely is your presence. And I love to be in your presence. That's what it means. Verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Now look at verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength, blessed are those whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. So the question is, where is the strength and the depth going to come from that we need to flourish in these crazy times? It's going to come from the presence of God. It's going to come from meeting with God. It's going to come from being rooted in God, in His person, in His presence, and in His power. And then look at this, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. What does that mean, whose hearts? In other words, you didn't just jump in at the last minute and go, oh, you guys going to Jerusalem? I think I'll tag along. I'll check it out and see what it's about. No, no, no. I'm not just checking the box. My heart is in it. My heart is in the journey. My heart, I'm centered in this thing. I'm grounded here. I'm rooted here. I've planted here. And now look at verse 6. As they pass through the valley of, as they pass through the valley of Baca. Okay, this is an interesting valley because we don't really know if it's a real place or, if, or a, um, a, a literary, a fictional place. But what it means is the valley of tears. So what they're saying is they're singing, God, we can't wait to be with you. We can't wait to be in your presence. We can't wait to meet you. But by the way, on the way there, everything's not going to go perfect. There's some tears we're going to shed. There's some things we're going to go through. We may be attacked by wild animals. We may have uh, thieves hide in the woods and try to attack us. Some of us may fall ill on the journey. Like everything about this isn't going to be perfect. But watch this. As... They make it a place of springs. What does that mean? Even in difficult circumstances, people with a pilgrim's heart toward God make things better because they're there. You take a Mother Teresa and you put her in the middle of one of the most difficult places on earth in Calcutta, India, and it's better because she's there. She took the place of tears and made it a spring. You take missionaries and send them all over the world into some of the darkest corners of the earth, and they take the place of tears and make it a place of living water. You at your job, if your heart is set on a journey with God, that work environment is better because you're there. Because you've brought a spring of life into it. In your relationship, in school, at school, in the high school cafeteria, just trying to figure it out, at college, it's better because you're there. 
Because people who have their hearts set on God make a difference. They make an impact in the environment. They make an impact in the atmosphere. That's what this means. People with a pilgrim's heart turn life's tears into springs. So part of our vision at Kingwood is to help people meet God. And from this psalm, I just want to give you two two of my reflections as I read it this week. Number one, your journey with God will change as you grow. Your journey with God will change as you grow. So, let me give you, that applies everywhere, but let me give you one specific place so we can see it. In your worship, the way that you worship and pray will change as you grow. I'm going to give you three stages of worship. This is how I understand it. This is the framework that I see it through, and I want to I show it to you. Number one, stage one, is what I call dependent worship. So all of us come to our, our, our growth journey the same way. We come into a community of believers. We don't know the songs. We don't know the style. We don't know exactly what our role is. We don't know where to sit. We don't know, but we look around and we watch other people. And as we were worshiping a few minutes ago, the music rises and people's voice rise and some sing louder and some sing quieter and all of this. But what happens is, is we're dependent upon the church to carry our spiritual life. Because we're, we're new, we're young, we're, we're not grown up in faith yet. And so we come into the church, we come into the community of faith, and the church carries us. That's dependent worship. It's where I am being carried along and brought closer to God because of your faith, because of your relationship with God, because of this community. So that's dependent. It's kind of like how an infant depends upon their parents for food. I haven't developed my own spiritual life yet. Now here's the temptation. The temptation in this stage is if you stop here and you don't keep growing, what's going to happen is is you're going to get shallow. Your faith is going to become very shallow. It's going to be Sunday morning faith, church service faith. I go to church sometimes. I belong to that church. You know, I go eight or ten times a year. And it will shallow out. Look, we talked about getting deeper, right? Let's talk about getting deeper. That's what we're talking about. It'll shallow out, and the storms of life will come and chew you up. Because you got stuck at stage one here, you're depending on other people, and it becomes like a drug. And so what you begin to think when you're young in faith is, oh man, if I get, if I get this level of worship at this size church, I'll go to a bigger church and I'll get another, another level of worship. Or I'll go to a more spiritual church. These people raise their hands. Man, over there, they, they, they run up and down the aisle. If I go over there, that'll really, that's going to kick my faith up, you know? We have these degrees of things. And there's this worship concert coming in town. If I go there, 30,000 people are going to go and worship. Man, if I go there, I'll have to be closer to God than anywhere. And we're still looking for something outside of us to do something inside of us. We're still dependent upon the environment to move our spiritual life. And so what I would say to you if you're at this, if you're at this stage is I would say the Holy Spirit is inviting you deeper, and here's some things that you can do. Keep worshiping with the church. It's completely okay for you to allow the church to carry your spiritual life for a while. Come in and ride on other people's coattails. But as you do, add one thing. 
Add some private prayer and worship time. Start to develop a relationship with God outside of church. Let the strength come from the church, but start to carry it uh, on your own a little bit and grow. That brings us to stage two. I'm just going to call private worship. When you begin to grow in stage two, what happens is, is you find this internal world of communication with God, of prayer and worship, that becomes so satisfying and fulfilling, and your joy and your peace expands, and your contentment with God grows, and, and you find this dynamic that you didn't know. You thought, I've never experienced anything like this except you know, at church. And now here I am by myself. And man, and it just gets better and better and better. And, and I can remember in my own life, I was, uh, I had been in ministry for a few years, but I had invested a lot in my own prayer and, and worship time and devotions and all that. And I can remember when this happened to me, this shift happened to me. And I can remember becoming more satisfied, becoming deeper I can remember I was growing more. I was getting more spiritual food from my devotions than I was the church. And it it felt like a loss to me because I had had so many incredible encounters with God at church that I thought, man, I don't, when I'm at church, I don't feel the same highs that I used to. I don't feel the same, you know, like it's good. I, I, I like it. I appreciate it. But what's really feeding me right now is this prayer closet. What's really what I really feel like I'm meeting God most powerfully is here. And now here's the thing. When you get to this stage, here's the temptation. And look, I, 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 all I've done in my adult life is ministry. So I've watched people in these stages everywhere I've lived. You get stuck in stage one, and, and there's the problem. Stage two, the temptation is pride. Because then you begin to say, well... I mean, I bet those people, I mean, they don't even come to church much. I bet they're not even doing their devotions. Man, the church is so shallow. If I could just share with everybody what I found in my devotion, why don't we ever talk about that at church? And pride starts to enter in. And rather than turning that depth... Back into the church, we, we, we turn a, a prideful and critical eye. And we begin to say things like, man, I don't, I don't even think, I think I've outgrown the church. I don't even think I need the church anymore. Just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus are fine. I don't need the church. And we begin to say things like, you know, I don't need to organize religion. I don't need whatever. I, 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 I'm fine on my own. Just me and Jesus. And I, I saw a picture this week that I thought was a perfect picture of what it would look like if uh, four Christians who say, I'm a Christian and I don't need the church. Take, take a look at this picture right here. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. If it was a photo, that don't look like that's going to turn out too good, does it? Right? But that's where we get to. That's where we get to when we don't continue to grow. So what do you do? What do you do? Listen, here's the thing. Probably more important at this stage than even the first stage, keep gathering with the church. Because you and Jesus aren't enough. You'll be out there in the field getting chased by a lion while everybody watches. Keep 
Gathering with the church, you know why? That spiritual discipline of gathering will develop humility and will crush the pride. And every time that you come, you say, Jesus, I know that this is your family, and I'm not above your family, and I haven't outgrown your family, and I know today there's something here that you have for me, and I'm coming to find it. So God, teach me. Stay teachable. And then you go to stage three, which I just call deep worship. And that's when you begin to realize, hey, I need private worship and prayer, and I need public worship and prayer. I need what the church has, and, and I need what I can get from Jesus alone. And what happens is, is they start to feed each other. Man, you come to church, and you hear a sermon or a worship song, you go, man, that was, that's what I was uh, studying this week. That's what was in my devotions. Man, that's what God's been speaking to me, and now he's speaking here. And you realize you're not here just to receive. You're here to give. (laughs) Because this church cannot be what it needs to be without you, and you cannot be what you need to be without this church. And there becomes a symbiotic relationship of deep worship where you go, now, did you notice something? In three of the stages, two of them are about community. One of them you do on your own, two are about community. One, you start with community, it carries you along, then you go private, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, wait a minute, I still need the church. You're not going to outgrow. You know, the church was Jesus' idea, right? You and I are never going to outgrow Jesus' ideas. <laughs> We're not going to outgrow them. We've we got to have them to be everything that Jesus wants us to be. So what you say is, I meet with God privately because that's where my soul is nurtured. I meet with God in the church because that's where my soul is shaped. I've come, in, I've come into this place sometimes so tired, I could hardly walk in. And man, I'd be so discouraged, overwhelmed, sad, grieving. And, it, and, as, the, and as the worship would start, and some of you would start to sing, and some of you would start to respond and pray, man, you lifted my spirit, and you encouraged me, and you carried me when I couldn't carry myself. And that's not a matter of maturity. That's a matter of reality. <laughs> that's life. Life will do that to you, wherever you are in the journey. So, two of these are community One is private. I want to give you the last thought today. Since we know, okay, let's gather with the church as faithfully and as often as we can. The other one is, let's build a private worship and prayer life with Jesus. So here's my second thought. Your journey with God requires intentionality. When pilgrims went to the temple, like, it was a journey. They didn't just zip over there. They didn't get in a car and go over there. There was danger and there was risk and there was sacrifice and there was loss. And they had to walk a long way, Some many of them. And it cost them something. It was time away from work. It was maybe lost income. It was time away from family responsibility. It took something. It was intentional. And they had to do it on purpose or it wouldn't have. Nobody just accidentally journeyed to the temple. <laughs> You're not going to accidentally slip into a deep relationship with God. If you don't do it on purpose, it's not going to happen. And so my challenge to you is, if you're going to get deep, you're going to have to invest intentionally and purposefully in this relationship. You're not, it's not going to be like zipping through a drive-thru or Prime Days pops up on your phone. You go, I think I'll order that. It's not like that. It's like 
It's like your heart is in it. Like your heart is set on pilgrimage. Like your heart is set on God. The journey took intentionality. So let me give you three simple things you can do to build that private time, okay? First, you need a place. Okay, in Psalm 84, we saw that they traveled to Jerusalem, to the temple, and that was the place, okay? Now, in the New Testament, Jesus has lived a sacrificial life. He lived obedient to his Father. He died. He was crucified, a sinless man. He resurrected on the third day, and when he, and when he died for us, there was a, um, a veil in the temple that separated everybody but the, but the highest priest on the holy day. And when Jesus died, that veil was torn, and that's symbolic that you and I have access to the throne of God anywhere, anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But that doesn't mean that the place that you meet God's not important. Okay? Jesus oftentimes withdrew into the olive groves, and he would meet Jesus there. The Bible says in lonely places. Some translations say quiet places. So here's my encouragement to you. Find a quiet place. If you want to meet God, because we live in the noisiest time in world history. Turn your phone off and find a quiet place. And if you'll get quiet, you'll meet God. <laughs> find a quiet place. Find a lonely place. Wherever it is. When I, when I meet God, I, I, I love to meet God in nature. I love to meet Him outside. So I sit on my back deck or I walk. And as I walk there, it's quiet. The phone's on mute. It's quiet. And I say, God... I do. I say it every time that I go to pray. I say it every time. I say, God, today I came to meet you. And I'm, just, I'm here to meet you. I want to meet you. And I need to meet you. And I have things that I pray through. And get to a quiet place. Pick a place so you don't have to try to figure it out. Here's the second thing. Have a plan. So what are you going to do when you get there? Don't go to your place. Don't go to your quiet place and start trying to make a bunch of decisions. It'll distract you. Where am I going to read? What am I going to do? What song am I going to do? Don't do all that. Decide all that before. What part of the Bible are you going to read? Are you going to read a devotional? What are you going to do? Just, just make simple, basic decisions before you get there, and then when you get there, all that's gone. And God, now I'm just here to, I'm just here to meet you. Because <laughs> my soul needs to come in contact with the person of God. My soul needs to come in contact with, the, with Jesus. Here's the last one, and this is really where Psalm 84 helps us, priority. A place, a plan, and you got to make it a priority, okay? It can't, be, it can't be a luxury, it can't be an add-on, it can't be nice when it happens. Like your priority, your heart has to be set on pilgrimage with God. It has to be, I know we have so many priorities. I'm not talking about now when it feels spiritual, I'm talking about like Monday, when you start to look at your list of things to do for Monday, where on that list is meeting God? It doesn't have to be six hours. <laughs> it doesn't have to be forever. In fact, I think you'd be much better off to meet God in shorter spaces more often than trying to do this nuclear thing, and then, and then you're like, well, I never could find that time again. 
I think it'd be much better just to create a rhythm. So, so Psalm 84, verse 10, listen to what these pilgrims say. Better is one day. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. God, better, better is one day with you. Sometimes that's true for me and sometimes it's not. Sometimes I live like I believe that and sometimes I don't. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Do do you have a dream vacation? I do. I have some dream vacations. Maybe I'd love to go hang out on a Caribbean island for a while. Now, I've heard some stories from our missions teams who were on St. Kitts in the heat for seven days. Not like that. I want, come on, it's vacation. I want air conditioning, right? I want it to be, you know, spring year-round, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'd love to go uh, tour across southern Europe and, and look at the coastline of the Mediterranean. Oh, wouldn't that be... I'd love that. Or maybe um, go somewhere near the Arctic Circle and get one of those glass dome huts and watch the northern lights. I'd love to do that. You probably have a dream vacation. Can, can you... So, a thousand days is like between two and a half and three years. Are you at a place in your life you could say... God, one day in your presence is better, than a, is better than three years in the Caribbean. Better is one day in your house than three years in southern Europe or looking at the northern lights or in Hawaii or in the mountains or wherever your dream thing. You know, we, if we're honest, we're very conflicted about that question. And here's why we're conflicted about it. Because we're fried. Because we've been traumatized and we want relief so bad. We want relief because of what we've been through. You know, this is projected to be the highest vacation summer in history. And you, you know why? Because people are fried. And they're trying to, like, I gotta, I gotta do something. Hey, look, I, I'm taking vacation. I hope you take vacation. I hope you have a great vacation. I hope you have a great time. But please don't expect it to do more than it can do. A vacation will give you relief. It will not heal your soul. Because no matter how long it is, when you come back, you're to come right back to what you left. <laughs> and if you come back from a vacation and you're not meeting God, you don't have that connection with him. What happens is is you come back and you just you're rested but you just kind of slide right back down into the same funk. A vacation won't heal you. It might give you relief and that's good. Just don't expect it to do what it can't do. Don't don't build the expectation and the excitement that yeah, you know this is going to be you know what I'm saying and then you come home and you go I'm just tired. I need a vacation from my vacation. Right? Depends on how you do it. Could you honestly say, better is one day in your house 
than a thousand elsewhere. So here's the question Psalm 84 asks us. How important is God's presence to you? How important is God's presence to you? The more time you spend with God, the more important He'll become to you. Guarantee it. If you're waiting for God to become important enough to you that you spend time with Him, you're going to wait a long time. But man, the more you get to know Him, the better it'll get in here. So would you stand with me this morning? If you're online, our prayer team is there, you know, ready to pray with you. So if you have a a prayer need, you can just jump in the comment section and our our prayer team's live to pray with you. This morning we're going to sing a song. And I was thinking about this because I think we have really good worship songs these days. I mean, I think just what's available is oftentimes rich and moving and inspirational and but sometimes the words are so high. I mean, they're so lofty. We sing them. And I think sometimes disconnect from them because they're not really true in our life. We just know that they're true. But it's not how we live. And so here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do as we sing this song and worship together. If, if you're living, we're going to sing, what a mighty God, you know. And if you're living with that faith and belief, what a mighty God I serve, then, man, sing it. Sometimes we sing because we live it, and sometimes we sing because we want to live it, but we don't yet. And that's okay, because God knows your heart. So as we lift our voice together, man, maybe you're in the one going, yes, yes, God, I've seen God, and He's coming through, and yeah, you celebrate. But there might be others of you that go, I really don't live that way. I want, I want to live that way, but I don't live the way. Man, sing, let, let that be your prayer as you sing. God, I want this to be true. I want it to be true. I want to believe it. I want to live it. Of course it's true, but I want to live it in my life. If you're online, turn the sound up. And sing with us. You might be, you know, in an Airbnb somewhere, driving in your car somewhere in the future. Man, this is a song we can all sing. Lord, today I thank you that one day in your presence is better than a thousand anywhere else on earth. And Lord, today we come to celebrate you. We come to worship you. We come to to announce to our own soul that you are a mighty and a powerful and a loving God. And we come to lift you up. We raise our voices to worship you in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, let's sing.